Hi, I'm Douglas Haynes, your Monday host of A Public Affair. We love creating this public space for in-depth conversations about education, ecology, food, and so much more. To keep these conversations going, we need your support. Go to wortfm.org slash donate. Thank you. Six foot six above sea level. I grab my mic because I like to take it to another mental level. No power frequency. Welcome to a public affair. I'm your Monday host, Douglas Haynes. Last week in Eau Claire and the Wisconsin Dells, the Wisconsin Legislature's Budget Writing Committee, the Joint Finance Committee, hosted public listening sessions about citizens' state budget priorities. In May, the committee will begin rewriting Governor Tony Evers' proposed 2023 through 2025 budget. In Evers' budget, he proposes a more than 15% increase in funding for public schools, but his proposal for the UW system is about $130 million less than what the UW Board of Regents say is needed to run the system's campuses over the next two years. Both K-12 and UW system have suffered from significant state disinvestment over the past decade. At last week's listening session in Eau Claire, State Superintendent of Public Instruction, Dr. Jill Underly, issued a plea for meaningful increases in state support for schools, saying, quote, The reality is that our districts are hurting. Districts are hurting right now because running schools cost money and they don't have enough. The next day in the Wisconsin Dells, about two dozen college student activists with the group Leaders Igniting Transformation spoke about their struggles to afford the increasing cost of higher education. Last month, the UW Board of Regents approved tuition and fee increases for undergraduates for the first time in 10 years. Meanwhile, some UW system campuses, such as UW Oshkosh, where I teach, are facing budget cuts and program closures, and one campus, UW Platteville Richland, has been ordered to stop offering classes. All of this despite the state's record $7 billion budget surplus. In short, these are turbulent times for Wisconsin students, schools, and college campuses. We're fortunate today to be joined by two guests who can shed more light on the prospects for K-12 and UW system spending in the current state budget process. During our first half hour or so, I'll talk with State Representative Christina Shelton, the ranking Democrat on the Assembly Education Committee. And during our second half hour, I'll be joined by UW-Green Bay Professor John Shelton, who is also Vice President of the Higher Education Council of the American Federation of Teachers, Wisconsin. First, I'd like to welcome State Representative Christina Shelton, a Democrat representing the 90th Assembly District containing most of the city of Green Bay. Thank you so much for joining me today, Representative Shelton. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. And welcome, listeners. We'd love for you to join our conversation. If you have a question for my guest today or want to share a perspective on public education budgets in Wisconsin, please give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. You can also tweet us at WRT Talk or message a public affair on Facebook. Representative Shelton, I'd like to start today um, by having you describe the concerns and needs in K-12 schools that you're hearing about most these days from your constituents. Well, I'd like to first start off by telling you that I'm a teacher by trade. I taught uh, kindergarten through 12th grade and higher ed, uh, health and physical education. Uh, I have two kids in the Green Bay School District, and I'm a former uh, school board member here in Green Bay. Before I was elected to the assembly, I was the vice president of the Green Bay School Board. Um, And so education is uh, near and dear to my heart, um, and it continues to be the top priority for me, both personally and professionally. Um, in our community, what we are uh, experiencing and the, the austerity that we in the crises that come from austerity, which is a political choice, um, isn't different than what other communities and school districts across Wisconsin are facing. Um, we are seeing uh, academic struggles of our students coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, rising needs, uh, both mental health, uh, nutritional uh, concerns of our students, hunger, housing. Um, we're seeing teachers who are leaving the profession and struggling uh, to meet the demands, uh, both in the classroom and in the school community. Um, And we're seeing school districts over and over again have to go to referendum to cover the rising costs and try to keep their doors open and and to ensure that they uphold their constitutional obligations to their public school students. And so um, it is a crisis. I, I am concerned that our public school teachers have nothing more to give 
and our school districts have tightened their budgets as much as they possibly can. And we're at a real tipping point here in Wisconsin. But the good news is we have a historic budget surplus of over seven billion dollars. So we can and must uh, commit to fully funding our public schools and make sure that we um, ensure that these are institutions that are available to families and kids for generations to come. So um, that brings us to the budget, right? As you just said, we have an opportunity right now to make a, a political decision as a, as a state about what priorities are. That's what part of the budget process is, really. Um, the governor has proposed a $2.6 billion increase in school funding. Is this what you were hoping for? Absolutely. You know, the governor is the education governor. His work as a teacher himself and then head of DPI and now leading our state in his second term has put forward a historic investment in public education. Uh, he continues to be a leader in these conversations. Um, and I'm so proud to work alongside him and his administration and my colleagues in the legislature to to organize and to uplift uh, the priorities that we heard from everyday Wisconsin people uh, through those budget listening sessions that the governor hosted, um, you know, in 2022 and in 2023. I like to think of this budget as the people's budget. Uh, this budget wasn't created out of thin air. It was created with the input um, directly from, from people on the ground in classroom. I like to say that those closest to the issue should be closest to the decision making. And what we're hearing from people in the classroom um, is, is not, uh, it's not shocking. They are asking for the same things they've been asking for for years. That is an increase in special education reimbursements. They're asking uh, for class sizes that um, are appropriate to ensure that every kid has the correct instruction, uh, curriculum and reading materials, um, that kids have healthy meals every day because we know that hungry kids can't learn. And so I'm really proud of this, this budget that the governor put forward. And again, it, it, these are not radical asks. These are common sense investment that will uplift our kids and families and teachers. So let's dive in to the details a little bit more here of the governor's proposal. And then later on, we'll talk about the prospects for that proposal. But uh, you mentioned special education. You mentioned school lunches. You mentioned mental health before as well. Let's talk a little bit more about the priorities um, that you have and that you've been talking to other Democrats about what you're going to be fighting hardest to maintain as the budget goes forward through the process and why. Well, there's certainly a lot here, right? And I think it's important here to remember that the struggles in our classroom reflect the struggles in our communities um, and we have the funding to do it. But there are a couple key pieces here that I want to highlight. And that again is the special education reimbursements. Right now we are reimbursing special ed at about 31%. The governor has put a proposal forward that would, and get, that would um, ensure an increase of 60% reimbursement for special ed. And when we reimburse special ed, all kids, every kid, benefits because what's happening in school districts around Wisconsin right now is because of the low reimbursement rate, districts are forced to pull millions of dollars out of their general fund, their fund 10, to cover their constitutional obligation and legal obligation to provide special education students to those with IEPs. Um, and so, um, for example, the Green Bay School District pulls out uh, in their last budget over $30 million to cover that, that gap between the reimbursement rate that the state gets, uh, the state sends, and what the district is required to provide, that's that would be over 30 million that can stay in their general fund that would benefit all kids. And so it really has a rippling effect when we don't reimburse at appropriate rates for special ed. Uh, the second uh, piece for me is the Healthy Meals, Healthy Kids provision that the governor put in. This would ensure that every kid in Wisconsin, uh, private school, public school, voucher, charter school, um, every, every school that participates in the National School Breakfast and School Lunch Program, those students would have access to a free breakfast and a free lunch at no cost. Um, this is a really important work. Shout out to the Healthy School Meals for All Coalition, which is going on its second year this is a important, uh, an important issue for us. And then the last thing is mental health. The governor put forward significant investments in the Kids Get Ahead program. We know our kids are struggling. We need more counselors, more social workers, more nurses. Um, we need more investment to make sure that our kids um, not are, just, not, are not just academically successful, but are healthy and well, both in and out of the classroom. You mentioned there uh, a couple of really important uh, 
sort of ways to think about the context of education funding and that point us toward a historical perspective, which is this doesn't have to be this way. It wasn't always this way, particularly with special education funding in particular. And uh, this choice has impacts on what else happens. For example, with special education funding, what else happens in the schools or with lunches for that matter, right? So during the pandemic, the federal government provided money for uh, free school breakfasts and lunches, which really helped a lot of families get through, right? And then as soon as that money disappeared, uh, school districts had to make a choice about whether they were going to use some of their general funds, as you said, to uh, continue to provide food for kids or whether they were going to go along with the decision of, well, food for kids doesn't matter anymore. Um, and for example, here in Madison, uh, the school district did find money for some schools to um, provide free school, free school lunches and free school breakfasts. But again, as you said, that has consequences for the other things that schools can do. So in some ways, these these difficult decisions that schools have to make or school districts have to make reinforce inequities, like with the school lunches here. For example, in Madison, some kids get in some schools get mm -hmm. free school lunches and free school breakfast and others don't. So uh, I guess I'm asking you to think out loud here a little bit about um, why these decisions have, made, have been made. What is the larger pattern of disinvestment here? And you mentioned earlier that this is not a radical, these are not radical asks that you're talking about. Where were we once in Wisconsin mm -hmm. schools in terms of these programs? And how were the choices made that got us to this point that you've been describing? Well, I'll speak first to the school meals issue. Um, you know, this is something that, as you mentioned, during the COVID-19 pandemic, the USDA issued waivers to feed all kids. So this is something that we were told because I had been in the, uh, working on this issue before serving in the legislature. We were told as uh, advocates that this was not possible. It was not possible to simply just feed all kids, even though we knew the research was there that, again, hungry kids can't learn. And also, you know, it reduces trips to the nurse, it improves behavior, it helps kids get to school on time. And oh, by the way, it's good for local economies and farmers and growers, right? And it saves working families money for those folks that have to pay. And when those waivers were put into place, uh, we stopped uh, taking in those free and reduced meal forms, right? We reduced the, the, the burden um, on food service workers who are in many cases de facto uh, bill collectors. Uh, we removed lunch shaming. We removed um, those, you know, uh, food service, um, you know, lunch meal debt, which many of our families have. And so it shows that these universal programs do have universal benefits. And these are choices that we can make. And the fact that we failed to make them in the past doesn't mean we can't envision a, um, a better uh, learning environment and a better community that is fully invested going forward. And I think that's sort of the beauty of what we've seen across the state is people are no longer accepting the status quo. When Wisconsin Republicans tell people in these budget listening sessions, and I have been there and witnessed this, that essentially the $7 billion is not real money and that it's not possible to improve the lives of working people, working people know that they are lying to them. They know that they are making austerity a political choice and prioritizing corporations and millionaires and billionaires over working people every single day. And so I am particularly inspired by where we are right now. We have this historical opportunity with this funding, but we also have this um, dynamic um, conversation happening in communities that we deserve an investment to make sure that people are not just surviving, but they really have everything that they need to thrive. And that includes, oh, by the way, Medicaid expansion and clean water and public transportation and collective bargaining, right? These things are all connected. And just like our kids uh, don't learn in a silo, our schools don't uh, operate in a silo either. We all deserve that investment. And when we do that, we're all going to benefit. You're listening to A Public Affair on WRT 89.9 FM Madison. I'm your Monday host, Douglas Haynes. And I'm having a conversation today with State Representative Christina Shelton about state education funding and the ongoing state budget process. If you'd like to join the conversation, please give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9, or reach out to us on Twitter or Facebook. I'd like to continue the conversation about specifics now, um, Representative Shelton, and talk a little bit about the issue of school vouchers. 
Um, the governor proposes freezing school voucher enrollment. Republicans have intimated that they want to tie school spending increases to expansion of the private school program. What will you advocate for and what do you expect to happen over the course of this process? So right now, the, the, the voucher program as it stands um, costs us uh, to taxpayers over $200 million a year. Um, this is money that uh, taxpayers are unaccountable, that, uh, that we have limited uh, uh, transparency um, of where this money is going. Um, we know that these schools um, do not have to provide, for example, special education to students, that they can discriminate. Um, and so these, this, basically what the state is doing right now is funding two school systems and moving public money out of the public sort of sphere of oversight and accountability and into these private institutions. Um, we cannot afford to continue to go this way, and nor does it uphold our constitutional obligation of ensuring that kids have access to public education. So I'm really proud that the governor uh, put forward a proposal to freeze enrollment in those voucher programs. We cannot afford to, to uh, fund these programs. Um, and we know that our public schools are the bedrock of our democracy, of civic engagement. That really is where the parents have the most say and the most influence, whether it be through school boards or PTAs. Our public schools are for common and public good. Um, and so um, we need to make sure that we invest in them and, and move away from this uh, privatization effort that's been happening for 40 to 50 years in the country. But uh, we've seen really ramp up in Wisconsin in recent years. So your position is clear. Do you have any predictions about uh, how this will play out once the Republicans roll out their proposals and then um, the budget is really hashed out in terms of the role vouchers will play? You know, I'm not really in the business of making predictions, but I think I can look at the uh, partners that are behind and, and, the, and the corporations and the wealthy donors that are behind the voucher, the push for vouchers and universal vouchers, education savings accounts that we're seeing in other states. Um, and so I know that that's not going to go away. But here's what I do know. I know the majority of Wisconsinites choose public schools. The majority of us believe and love our public schools and we love our public school teachers and we don't believe that taxpayers should be sending public money to private institutions. And for that reason, I believe that the will of the people will become the law of the land, whether it's through this budget process or in the future. But we have to continue to march towards justice. Um, you know, the, the goals of public education are aspirational and ambitious, but we have to continue to work to actualize that and we cannot do that if we are sending hundreds of millions of dollars to to private schools without public oversight. I'd like to ask you about one more particular K-12 issue before we turn towards UW system for a few minutes. And that is the ongoing teacher shortage, which, of course, is not unique to Wisconsin, but in some ways particularly acute because of the particular circumstances that have been uh, followed from Act 10 and its impact on teacher morale and retention. Um, so I'd be interested in hearing you talk about your priorities in terms of ways to address that crisis and ways that Democrats are talking about this right now. Well, the research is really clear um, here that a significant number of teachers leave the classroom after five years. In fact, I, I, I fall into that group. I was a, a classroom teacher for five years, and then I went on to pursue other opportunities in education, nevertheless. But we have to really look, look at the turnover. We have to look at uh, the numbers of folks who are interested in going into the teaching profession. And of course, things like wages and working conditions and benefits um, play a key role in how people decide to go into a field, especially teaching. But I think even more so than that, we have to really think about the way we talk about teachers and the culture um, and the, the profession of being an educator. Um, we see right now in the national media teachers being, you know, not trusted to pick out the uh, age appropriate books for their students or being able to teach uh, appropriate instructional materials and, and having that creativity to be a professional in the classroom to meet the growing demands of our students. I worry about the way we have deprofessionalized um, education. Um, and I really think that we need to do all we can more broadly as a society to uplift teachers. Uh, because if we don't have a good workforce and people who are there, not just because they love kids, but because they see it as a, 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 a great profession, um, we will suffer for it. And so 
Um, there are some long-term concerns there. I will just also say too, the um, salary of teachers has gone down over the past year, uh, 10 years, um, significantly to about 51,000. It used to be around 60 or 61,000 on average. So that plays a role as well. And they deserve to make a living wage. And that happening, obviously, in the context of uh, runaway inflation, right? Um, That's right. uh, Which hasn't, you know, uniformly been addressed across the state. Um, Before we move on to UW system, any priorities you want to mention in terms of K-12 and the budget that we haven't hit on yet? You know, I would also just mention to your to your listeners, you know, we're having this conversation around literacy and reading and the education committee, um, really thinking about phonics and decoding and making sure that all students have access to um, great instruction in the classroom. Um, you know, people have described it in the past as, as the reading wars. And I feel like as a state, we're in a really good place right now to push for investment in reading and literacy in a way that's constructive and sort of brings everyone to the table. Um, this will require the sort of work. If you look at states like uh, Mississippi, they invested over $144 million into literacy and, and reading programs, other states in Indiana and so forth doing something similar. So I just encourage your listeners today, if they're interested in reading and literacy, to reach out to us. Um, it's certainly going to take all of the stakeholders to come to the table to determine what it looks like. But I feel like it's the right issue at the right moment. And that's really exciting. Great. I'm glad uh, you mentioned that and that that's an issue that uh, listeners should be reaching out about in particular that, uh, that the committee is talking about, the education committee is talking about this in the assembly right now. We're going to transition briefly before we um, move on with um, your husband, John Shelton, AFT, uh, Vice President for Higher Education in Wisconsin, uh, to talk a little bit about UW system budget while you're still with us. Uh, I mentioned in the intro that the Governor's proposal for the UW system budget is somewhat short of what the system says they need to operate over the next two years and that there is now a tuition increase happening. Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, that's not necessarily going to solve the budget shortfalls. Uh, How much are Assembly Democrats talking about budget shortfalls at system campuses and how to address them? Well, we're certainly talking about it a lot and making sure that we do everything we can to make sure um, our institutions of higher education have what they need to uh, be successful. You know, you think back on the last budget cycle, um, the UW system received over just over eight million dollars in new funding when they had requested hundreds of millions of dollars of new funding. And so when we continue to um to divest um, and to not rise up to meet the needs, right? Those rising costs and also the rising needs of our, our, our higher education students and faculty and staff, um, it's sort of, comp- the crisis sort of compounds itself year over year. Um, so I, I really hope that my Republican colleagues will come to the table and see the need for that investment. It's smart investment. Our, um, our campuses across the, the state um, provide such critical services to our students, both in the classroom and out in community. And uh, that $306 million that was proposed by the the, budget, uh, the governor would, would go far to making sure um, our system uh, campuses are strong for generations. Do you foresee um, the tuition increase that's been approved by the Board of Regents being sort of a sticking point for um, the negotiations around increasing funding? You know, I think that really what you're seeing right now is people having a conversation where there's a lot of different moving parts on the table. And we're trying to decide as a state what it's going to look like together as we move forward. Um, you know, when you're looking at some of these declining enrollments and the future of the the different campuses around the state, and I get asked this a lot, like, what do I, you know, people say, what do you think we should do? And my response is always, it's not about what I think we should do. It's really about what we think we should do. Um, Representative Katrina Shanklin in the past has proposed doing a blue ribbon commission on higher education. I'd love to see us do something like that because um, the the issues within the UW system and in higher education, including our technical colleges, it's incredibly complicated and nuanced. Um, And we need to make sure that faculty and staff uh, are are at the seat at the table, including our unions, to make sure that um, we all are a part of the solution as we move forward. You're listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. I'm your Monday host, Douglas Haynes. And I'm 
having a conversation today about education funding in the upcoming state budget with State Representative Christina Shelton of Green Bay, the ranking Democrat on the Assembly Education Committee. And I'm joined now by John Shelton, her husband, Associate Professor of Democracy and Justice Studies at UW-Green Bay and Vice President for Higher Education of the American Federation of Teachers of Wisconsin. If you'd like to join us, please do give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. It, the number is 608-256-2001, extension 9. Thank you for joining us today, John. And uh, Representative Shelton, uh, if you can stay uh, with us, that's great. Just, just let us know when you have to move on to other things. Yeah, Welcome, I'll stick John. around for a minute. Hi, John. Are you with us, John? We'll keep talking otherwise, Representative Shelton. <laughs> Thank you. You were, you were talking about the um, role that the public has in, in yeah. right at the end there and in, in making sure that we have a budget for UW system that we all want. You made this distinction between what you want and what we want. And you mentioned also, of course, bringing unions to the table. And hopefully John will talk more about that in a few minutes. Um, but let's start with the um, the broader context of disinvestment. And, and I'm, mm-hmm. again, hopefully John will, will um, be with us in a few minutes. Um, a 2020 Brookings Institution report found that Wisconsin spends less on regional public universities per students than all other Great Lakes states. And of course, once upon a time, regional public universities, which are the kind that most Wisconsin four-year college students attend, we're talking about places like UW-Stevens Point, UW-Green Bay, UW-Oshkosh, UW-Eau Claire. These were among the most well-funded and esteemed regional universities in the country, once upon a time. What has happened to funding for the UW system over the past decade or so, from your perspective, both for a while outside of state government and now within Well, what we saw in the Walker administration was a failure to continue to to fund and really support our uh, higher education institutions, including the UW system, to meet the growing demands of our teachers um, and, and of our communities. Um, you know, our our students are changing in their sort of in their background and where they're coming from and in their demographics. Um, we have more uh, sort of, quote unquote, non-traditional students, uh, people who have children who are coming back to school, maybe after leaving a career. Um, and those folks are facing, I would say, additional challenges that maybe in generations in the past we haven't seen or maybe we didn't uh work as hard to to, to sort of just dis, dis, uh, dismantle some of those barriers. And I'm thinking about, you know, things like childcare. Um, NWTC up by me in Green Bay, I know last year, I think they're still doing it. You know, they were actually helping students to cover the cost of childcare because they knew that that was a barrier that uh, moms and dads were facing. Um, you think about housing and transportation or even just those barriers to entry, um, like the application fees and rising tuition, um, in some of our some cases, not as much in the UW system recently because of the t- tuition freeze, but we really need to make sure that we think about meeting um, the needs of the the whole student, and that isn't just you know um, thinking broadly about the budget, but really ensuring that we uh, dismantle those barriers to entry and then support the students as they work through whatever degree um, that they are working throughout that time. But I'm really proud of the way that some of our institutions are doing that. I'll mention another thing as well, UWGB where John teaches, uh, they just entered an, into an agreement with the Green Bay Area Public School District to do direct admission for seniors graduating from Green Bay. Um, and that's actually something that the governor has written in that they, he wants to do a feasibility study to try to do direct admission Uh, from uh, high schools to other UW campuses as well. So those are some of the good solutions that I think are are worth uh, moving on. I'm so glad you brought in that perspective of thinking about college students as whole people and thinking about their whole lives and how we not only make college accessible uh, in terms of affordability, but uh, in terms of all the other things that they're juggling in their lives. This is something I hear from students about and you're a lot and your comments made me think about one student, in fact, who's taking one of my classes online this semester because she can't find childcare um, and she has to work part of the day. So, uh, you know, I'm having to improvise and incorporate her into a class and try to make it as collaborative as possible while she can't be there. Um, and that's great. I enjoy it and I'm happy to do that. But that's just an example of the, of the kind of barrier that people might not think about when 
when they think about the quote unquote typical college experience, which brings me to my next question. I'm sitting here a few blocks from the UW-Madison campus, and from here it looks like higher education is really flush in Wisconsin with record enrollments and application numbers and shiny new facilities all over campus. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the differences between UW-Madison's budget situation and the rest of the UW system for our listeners, Um, and maybe in particular how this is talked about politically, since obviously that's where you're sitting Yeah, absolutely. I I think, well, and I don't know if John wants to jump in here because I think I see him here now. Um, But, you know, where we sit uh, politically and as a lawmaker is really to ensure that we work with the chancellors at each of the different campuses and within the the Board of Regents and the UW system to make sure that each campus has what it needs, uh, because we know that there's nuanced complexity that reflects what the community and the surrounding neighborhoods uh, needs us to thrive. So certainly what Madison needs is different than what you know, Green Bay needs or an Eau Claire or a Stevens Point. Um, and I'm sure if, if John's here, I don't know if he's available, but he could talk more specifically about sort of those budgetary issues. But I'm really proud of the work that we've been doing so far with some of those leaders to make sure we meet those needs. Thank you so much, uh, Representative Shelton. That's State Representative Christina Shelton of Green Bay. Thank you for, for joining us. We've got John on the line, and we will transition to him now to talk more about UW system. But thanks again for being with us. Thanks for having me. And I'm going to turn now to John Shelton, UW Green Bay professor and IFT Wisconsin, uh, Vice President on the Higher Education Committee. Welcome to A Public Affair, John. It's great to have you with us. Okay, Christina, I'm sorry. We're having some, some audio difficulties with John Shelton's line here. Christina, are you able to stay with us? I'll stick around and I'll 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 give him some heck at at dinner time okay. when he comes home today. Why his computer is audio isn't working? Thank. You. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna try to get him on the phone here. But thank you so okay. much, Representative Shelton. Um, let's talk a little bit more than about um, the budget itself now. Yeah. So Governor Evers' budget uh, allocates one hundred thirty million dollars less, as I mentioned. Um, than what UW system asked for. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any insight in ter- terms of what his budget calculus was and what what you uh, and your constituents would like to see happen in terms of um, the budget proposal, the, the yeah. funding number, I guess, more specifically? You know, I, I obviously I'm not there in those intimate conversations that the governor's having with key stakeholders like the, the regents and, you know, uh, chancellors and so forth uh, and the president, system president. But I think, you know, really what you see here is the governor trying to weigh many different priorities and a complicated budget system. Um, and also knowing that he has a Republican controlled legislature that he's trying to push. Um, and again, as I mentioned, uh, last bu- budget uh, cycle, the Republicans um, only approved just over an $8 million increase in, in funding for, for the UW system. So there's not a strong track record here of Republicans stepping up to fund systems the way that they need to. Um, so, you know, I, I'm sure you worked with his partners there, but I just want to highlight a couple other provisions in, in his in his budget uh, proposal here. You know, he put significant funding here. I think it was around $24 million to um, to build the Wisconsin tuition promise. This is a, uh, a provision that would ensure that families making less than $62,000 a year would have access to, um, to basically go to, to school tuition free. And it would be funded, um, it's being funded right now by, um, by the regents in its first year. And the governor's proposing to keep that going using state GPR dollars. Um, but also um, in-state tuition for three years of residency if, with students who have three years of residency. So these are the ways that I see the governor really continuing to invest in working families and, and students by removing a barrier to entry if they want to go into higher education to make sure that they can go um, and that to you know that those costs are not going to be a barrier if they want to they want to go into higher education. I'm so glad you mentioned the Wisconsin tuition promise and uh, your sense that this is something that that hopefully will continue. I think we've got uh, John Shelton on the line now. Are you with us, John? 
Uh, I am. Can you hear me? Yes, very well. Thank okay. you. Thanks my, for being with my, us. My apologies. I had so many smart things to say, and I was like saying them, but they were apparently just going out into the ether. <laughs> uh, so, so thanks for having me, and uh, thanks to uh, my partner, for Christina, for filibustering a little bit with the technical uh, <laughs> issues. You can tell uh, she might have some experience with that, the filibuster. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again, Representative Shelton. And uh, welcome, John Shelton. We've got 20 minutes or so here left on A Public Affair today, and we'd love to hear from you out there, listeners. Please join us at 608-256-2001, extension 9, if you want to talk about this uh, upcoming budget cycle at the state level and the prospects for education funding. We're going to turn now to focus on AFT Wisconsin, American Federation of Teachers Wisconsin, and uh, your perspectives, you representing them, John Shelton, on the UW system budget proposal from Governor Evers. Let's start there. Um, What does AFT have to say about that proposal? And then we'll go from there to talk more about specific priorities. Sure. So let me just contextualize this by saying that, you know, in the in the Scott Walker years, as probably a lot of your listeners uh, recall, uh, I think the UW system lost about a billion dollars in state general purpose revenue funding. So, you know, that has put really all of our campuses in a difficult position. I mean, I I, kind of heard you, you know, when you were talking to Representative Shelton about, um, you know, Madison and sort of the idea that, you know, they're kind of flush with cash. And, and, you know, Madison has had recourse to some some different things uh, in order to compensate, you know, for the the massive amount of funding decrease, right? One of those, as probably a lot of your listeners know, is by bringing in a greater number of -of out-of-state students, right, who can pay higher levels of tuition, The comprehensives, right, those are all the campuses basically outside of Madison and Milwaukee, don't really have that option. So even though, um, you know, over the past four years or so in the Evers first term, we've seen some uh, small increases in funding to the UW system, we haven't seen compensation for the hundreds of millions of dollars that that we've lost. So it's, you know, we we, we fully support Governor Evers' budget. you know, it's, it's about, I think, about $70 million in, um, you know, basically general purpose revenue increase. And that's something that's desperately needed uh, for both inflationary pressures, um, but, you know, just to frankly cover a lot of the cost co- cutting that our campuses have had to do, uh, we really support uh, the, the thing that um, Christina, the proposal that Christina just mentioned, which is uh, the Wisconsin tuition promise. That's absolutely essential if we want, um, you know, uh, first-generation students and increasingly diverse students to be able to come to the UW system. Um, and, you know, the, the other piece of the Evers budget proposal is a pretty significant increase for state employees, um, which, which, you know, does include UW employees. It's 5% in the first year and 3% in the second. That's absolutely essential. We are having such a hard time because of these budget shortfalls, because of the choice to put the UW system, or the political choice to put the UW system in a position of austerity, we're having a very difficult time keeping good faculty and staff and you know, on our campuses. And, you know, that's faculty, of course, right, who, you know, I think uh, everybody thinks about as being a really important part of the, you know, university system. But it's also academic and university staff, you know, the, the folks that, that really do a lot of the very important day-to-day work that happens outside of the classroom that's absolutely essential for our, our, our campuses to function at a high level. And we're having a very hard time recruiting and retaining those folks because the level of compensation, um, again, because of the uh, political choice for austerity is, is uh, so um, out of whack with what people can get either in other universities outside of the state or um, you know, the private sector. So what, the way I would characterize this budget is, you know, we support it. We also think in the long term there are there's more that needs to be done in order to fully fund the UW system so that faculty and staff have the resources they need to ensure that the UW system is a quality experience, uh, not just for the kind of traditional students that we've had, but the, the increasingly diverse generation of students that we're seeing come into the UW system today. Thank you, John. Uh, you mentioned there the um, difficulty retaining and recruiting faculty and staff, both um, playing such an important role in students' experience. 
Are you also there at UW-Green Bay, and are you hearing from locals around the state, AFT locals, that um, their faculty and staff are actually shrinking? I know that that is the case at UW-Oshkosh. Um, so that's part one of the question. And part two is, what are the, the day-to-day ramifications of that difficulty retaining people or also um, shrinking faculty and staff for students' experiences? Yeah, those are those are both terrific questions, Douglas. And, you know, I, I was just looking at this, um, actually, when I was listening to the first uh, part of the, the uh, program today, when I was listening to Representative Shelton talk, I just I just quickly looked this up again on the on the UW system dashboard. And we currently have a significantly fewer faculty in the UW system than we did in 2005. So in 2005, we had, according to the dashboard, a little over 6,000 faculty. And at the moment, we have about 5,000, or this is as of 2021, which is the most recent data that's available, uh, about 5,500 faculty. So, you know, um, now that, that's, that's been compensated to a certain extent with greater numbers of instructional academic staff who are uh, people, you know, who are doing a lot of the instruction on campus, but don't have tenure, right? And many of those folks are excellent teachers. You know, we have excellent instructional academic staff on our campus, um, but they, without having tenure, they don't have the same amount of resources to do research. Uh, their teaching load is obviously higher, so it's more difficult for them to support students in the way that faculty can. Um, in some cases, you know, they're teaching on limited contracts, um, and so maybe not being able to have the sort of continuity with students across their time at, a, at an institution. Um, and so th- this is this is a very serious thing. And, you know, we, we have about the same number of students in the UW system that we had in 2005. So, um, you know, what this has meant is essentially all of the faculty who are still here, right, um, or have been hired since that time, having to do more with less, having to do more mentoring, more teaching, um, and, and to do that while also still trying to maintain the kind of world-class uh, research and scholarship expectations that are, that are really important, not just to enhance the reputation of our institutions, but also, you know, to enhance instruction, to give undergraduates and graduate students a really high quality experience. Um, so that's, you know, one of the very significant ramifications. Uh, another uh, piece that I would kind of look at here, you know, and, and I, again, I was looking at the, the dashboard and, and wanted to just kind of point this out. Uh, when, you, when you adjust outside of Madison, um, so Madison, uh, is, you know, has has kind of kept uh, to a large extent the the salary of uh, faculty on par with uh, comparable institutions in the rest of the country. Um, but excluding Madison, uh, faculty in the UW system make about 13% less than their peers uh, in comparable institutions. And so, you know, what that means obviously is it's harder to retain faculty. But I want to drill down a little bit into that because one of the things that we've been seeing on a number of our campuses is that it is often, um, you know, folks from uh, more marginalized groups who are seeing the brunt of that, uh, the impact of, of, you know, that lack of um, salary equity. So um, uh, that we've, I think in the system, a lot of our, our uh, locals, we have locals on every campus, are really kind of starting to scratch the surface of this. I want to highlight something that our local at UW-Whitewater is doing this week. Uh, they're going to be doing a big event on this, on their a big conversation about this on their campus on Thursday. They've just started looking at data and found that female faculty are um, uh, underpaid quite dramatically uh, in the UW system uh, relative to other institutions. And that is causing, I, I've really only heard about this kind of anecdotally, but in my opinion, an exodus of uh, really good uh, female faculty in particular from the UW system. And that has all kinds of implications for our students, Uh, you know, because, um, you know, if you're thinking about gender equity as something that we aspire to as a campus, seeing good female faculty leave is is problematic. It's also problematic because it means those good female faculty aren't there to, to, you know, for as long a period of time to mentor, you know, up and coming uh, female students, right? So there, there are wide-ranging implications. As for staff, um, you know, same kind of thing, right? Uh, we've seen uh, many efforts uh, to, to um, on our campuses to try and retain staff when they're getting uh, much higher salaries, uh, wages, uh, you know, places in the private sector. 
And that's led to some really problematic things. I'm guessing you know about this at Oshkosh. Um, over the past couple of years, we've seen efforts by administration to try and outsource things that campuses used to do, things like uh, custodial, right? That's, that's happened. There's been efforts to do that at both River Falls and Oshkosh. Uh, um, uh, um, fortunately, the union actually in both of those places, the faculty and staff union was able to, were able to kind of organize and stop that from happening. But you have administrations who um, kind of feel either rightly or, you know, whether this is right or not, feel as if they're being pushed into that um, uh, uh, possibility because it is harder to retain, uh, you know, people in staff positions when your hands are tied by not having enough funding to give people the raises that they need. Yeah, anecdotally, at Oshkosh, in fact, there was a period when the administration was actually um, regularly calling for volunteers to help with grounds maintenance from faculty and staff because they were so understaffed and couldn't maintain the campus. Right. And so, you know, to me, this is where, you know, this budget is such an important conversation right now, because how is that a conversation that is taking place in the UW system which you know used to be the one of the premier public in, you know, public institutions of higher education in this country. Um, even as recently as 10 years ago, when I got a job in the UW system, everybody outside of the UW was like, "Oh, you're going to the UW system? That's great. They have such a reputation for being so for having such a high quality institution." And now we're in a position where administrators are either um, thinking about these, you know. Uh, frankly, very problematic things like outsourcing custodial or asking other people like faculty to go and do that work. You know, we have a $7 billion budget surplus in this state. What we should be doing is funding the institutions that we value and funding them in a way so that we can make sure that we have great people there to do all the work that's going to ensure that this is a high quality experience for every student who sets foot in a UW institution. We should be using the surplus to collectively raise our expectations and to fight for those things that we know uh, we need as faculty and staff and we know students need. And, you know, I just want to say that, um, you know, this, this isn't the Wisconsin that we had under Walker. Uh, Democrats have effectively won the last two state elections uh, for governor and the state Supreme Court race. And in particular, young people are voting for a very different future where, you know, we don't have to simply operate under these you know, incredibly low, diminished expectations and, and constantly make the best of bad choices, but we can have the kind of UW system that we know the state needs and, and we know that everybody wants. That's John Shelton you're hearing here on A Public Affair on WRT 89.9 FM Madison. He is Associate Professor of Democracy and Justice Studies at UW-Green Bay and Vice President for Higher Education of the American Federation of Teachers, Wisconsin. In the five minutes or so that we have left, John, uh, I'd like to turn next towards the approved tuition increases. Last month, the Board of Regents approved tuition increases for the first time in a decade. What is the AFT's perspective on tuition increases? What are you hearing from your locals about this? And what uh, else can be done? How are tuition increases part of a larger conversation about how to make college more accessible for all students? Yeah, I, yeah I'm so glad you asked this question because um, back in 2013, when Scott Walker implemented the tuition freeze, at the same time that he caught, you know, cut hundreds of millions of dollars from the UW system budget, um, you know, uh, our, our locals really got together and thought about what would be the best way to respond to that. You know, and, and I know there are some groups, um, you know, uh, pro higher education groups. Uh, there's this, I can't remember the name of it, but this alumni group, I think it's Badger Advocates in uh, Wisconsin, in, in Madison, that sort of pushed for tuition freezes for quite some time. In, in 2017, uh, our higher education council, which is a collection of different uh, locals, basically came together and we said, you know what, here's what we're going to advocate for. We're going to advocate to fund the tuition freeze because uh, high quality education is something that really should be a right for everybody. You know, if we're going to say, and I, I have a whole book out that questions this idea a little bit, but um, if we're going to say that education is this sort of essential path to economic opportunity in this country, how, how can we, and in the state, how, how can we then say that students have to take on 
tens of thousands of dollars of debt to, to, to get it. So what we said is um, we, we need to keep the tuition freeze but fund it. Now, this was back in 2017, right? Fund the freeze. And this is, a, this is a, something we organized around. Governor Evers actually used the slogan in his um, election campaign in 2018. And in the State of the State address just last year, not this year, but the one before, he, uh, uh, um, he uh, unveiled that he would be giving us uh, about $25 million to the UW system for the purpose of funding the tuition freeze. So we've made a real impact there. Now, unfortunately, UW system, uh, and I, I'm, not, I'm not challenging the necessity of this, uh, but you know, felt like without a significant increase in funding for the UW system from the legislature, it was necessary to raise tuition uh, this year. Um, I think, in, you know, in my view, uh, and I think the view of most of our locals, we see this as something that, um, while we don't like it, we can understand the necessity of it right now um, because of the, you know, significant lack of funding that we've had. But in the long run, what we want to see is a fully funded UW system uh, in which uh, every student, right, to, to, to us, we see the Wisconsin tuition promise really as the first step uh, in a future in which every student who wants to go to post-secondary education, whether that's a technical college or you know, a four-year degree in the UW system, everybody has access to a tuition-free future because uh, postgraduate education is something that opens doors, whether it's uh, uh, new job capabilities or civic capabilities or you know, simply artistic capabilities. Uh, this is the kind of thing that opens doors for everybody, and it should be something in our state that we treat as a right, and if we prioritize it, we can have that. So in the long run, I think we need to move away from uh, tuition altogether for uh, folks in, the, in higher education in our state. Uh, for now, um, you know, we, need, we need to have a future where we limit future tuition increases by, by funding the, the UW system. Uh, as much as we can to make sure that students and, and frankly, our communities have what they need from the UW system. And in a minute uh, or so that we have left, uh, John Shelton, do you have any suggestions for listeners in terms of reaching out if they want to advocate to their state senators and representatives in this budget process what they should be advocating for from the point of view of the American Federation of Teachers? Yeah, so absolutely. Go to Joint Finance Committee hearings. Um, go to any of the open um, uh, uh, sessions that the Joint Finance Committee is holding and, you know, write to your legislators, uh, whether write to your, obviously, uh, to the members of the Joint Finance Committee, but write to your own state assembly representative, your own state senator, tell them that you support fully funding the UW system. Um, and, you know, let's, let's make sure the legislature actually acts in the will of the majority of the state who want to see a fully funded UW system. Thanks so much for being with us today, John. It's very much my pleasure. Thanks for doing the show on this. And again, sorry about those tech difficulties, but uh, glad to be a part of the conversation. I'm glad you were as well. I've been talking with John Shelton, UW-Green Bay professor and vice president of the Higher Education Committee of AFT Wisconsin. I'm your host, Douglas Haynes, and I'd like to thank today's engineer, Andrew Thomas, producer Jade Isiri Ramos, and news director, Shali Pittman, And thank you, listeners, for joining us today on A Public Affair here at WORT 89.9 FM Madison. Stay tuned for Madison Book Beat. Host Shally Pittman is in conversation today with Madison-based author Scott Mitchell May on his forthcoming book, Breakneck.